Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is August 26th, 2019, and this is episode 277. My name is Jake English. And I'm Scott Magnus. And on this week's show, we'll go around the bases because, folks, I've missed a lot. We'll also go ahead and uh, clean out the attic, clean out the garage, and uh, make some room for some new additions into Birdland. And we'll do all that right after we lubricate the show. That's right. It's time for the drink of the week. Scott Magnus, what are you drinking? Uh, I am drinking a 2018 Bell's Oktoberfest beer. No. No. It's too soon. I'm not ready for pumpkin spice beer. Uh, this is a Marzen. Not a Mars Hun, but a Marzen. Uh, there's a crispness in the air. Not a Christmas, but a crispness. And uh, I'm going to have a, a fall beer. No. No, we were just talking about this off mic a, a couple of days ago. I need to go out and and uh, get all of the grapefruit beers I can find because it's about to be uh, replaced everywhere with pumpkin. I'm drinking a house-provided cheap beer. Thank you, Scotty. Enjoying my Corona Extra. Yeah. It's, it's Moss Good. This is probably the best time in the show to ask this question, but... Mm-hmm. Um, you're a follower of the interweb, such as myself. I might be. Uh, and uh, I know that you have a uh, heavy loathe uh, for pumpkin spice-based products. I do. Uh, Jake, how would you feel about a uh, pumpkin-spiced uh, hard seltzer uh, produced by the uh, Bush Manufacturing Company with a ABV around 17%? No, you lost me. No. No good. No bueno. Jake, even you could have got into a girl's pants in American University with that in your pocket. That is clearly a lie. And if you're interested in finding out what we're drinking, we do this socially on Untapped. Come drink with us. I'm at Jakey4025. I'm at MAGN8606. And with that, it's going to be time for a checkup. All right, so a few additions that kind of popped up yesterday. We might uh, need a few stiff drinks to review the medical wing yeah. this week. Yikes. Uh, Sean Armstrong uh, has a right forearm strain. I'm sorry, who? Uh, Sean Armstrong. Uh, not ringing a bell. Uh, he's the brother of Taylor Scott. Uh, oh, oh, you mean New Mike Wright. Oh, yes, New Mike Wright. Okay, got yes. it, got it. Uh, he's um, expected to resume throwing this week. And um, yeah, he'll be back by September 1st when... Rosters expand. Nice. Nice. Uh, and then the big news, of course, is Hanzo Alberto leaving the game early on Sunday uh, due to a head contusion. Uh, there's also an indication that he may have a cervical strain. Now, Jake, as an individual who has had a cervical strain before in the past. I thought we were gonna, weren't going to talk about that particular uh, episode. No. So uh, I'm just going to start here yeah. with the episode. This is going to come up a lot. Mm-hmm. I was out traveling this week okay I was in michigan you were in michigan on sunday i was in michigan uh all throughout the week on sunday I was recovering from michigan on sunday okay uh missed a lot of baseball right what happened so um obviously head contusion cervical strain when you enter into a certain position 
you can get damaged really quickly, especially if the thighs um, rub up against your head too much. Oh, goodness. Yeah. That doesn't sound good. Well, I mean, these are the dangers that we have when uh, you're hitting, you know, 60, 0, 69 against right-handers. Left-handers, great, but... But Hanser Alberto is like all we've got. Say it ain't so, Scotty. We've got other people, okay? Yeah, we've got other people here on the medical wing. What's this I hear about Renato Nunez? Oh, you know, he's fine. He's, again, exited the game early. Just a little bit of tenderness on that hamstring. Maybe uh, the two are intertwined. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> All right. Hanser Alberto, uh, tell me, you know, are we expected to know anything about him soon? He'll be back. I mean, okay. I, I think this is a big deal. I think that if something would have happened, it would have came out today on Monday. Um, I think he's back in the lineup when the next left-handed pitcher is out there. Okay. Okay. And Renato Nunez, everything's going to be okay. No, he's dead. Oh, no. No, that's Mark Trumbo. Who, oh, right. Who, as I read the fine print, still dead. Yeah. Possibly coming back up in September. <laughs> Sure. Okay. Here's where I would say about Mark Trumbo is I do think that he may reappear on the September roster at some point just to give him his final at bat of his career. Just to hold back Chris Davis. Just to be like, hey, guys, remember me? Remember me? I'm going to take my last swing and go ahead and uh, collect my check. Thanks so much. I'm out of here. Nice. Is there anything else worth talking about on this week or on the uh, the medical wing? wing? I don't think so. I don't think so at all. All right. Well, in that case, let's uh, go yonder into this week on the Twitters. I want to talk about a tweet, Scotty, in which the Orioles are making me cry. And no, it's it's not what you think. It's a different kind of crying. This is a tweet that came out from the Baltimore Orioles today here on August 26th. And it talks about a uh, Orioles prospect, Adam Hall, who plays for the Shorebirds, and a story about his father who's who's uh, battling cancer. Uh, the piece is narrated by Cal Ripken Jr., um, and it just has all of the feels. So All of the feels? Yeah, you're going to need to go to uh, the website, birdsofviewbaltimore.com, where we have linked this tweet so that you may also experience the feels. Is this the kind of, uh, I don't want to even call this shtick, is this the kind of uh, emotional connection that you like to see for baseball? Absolutely. This is the content I am here for. All right. Well, the content that I'm here for is this next tweet from Minor League Baseball at MILB, and it's the Orioles' future on display at Delmarva will top-ranked prospect Adley Rutschman and second-ranked Grayson Rodriguez battery for the Shorebirds. And it didn't end well for the Shorebirds this night, but it certainly was a promise of hopefully what the future entails. So I really enjoyed uh, seeing what the future could look like, even though it was in Delmarva. Scotty, my next tweet is going to come from the San Diego Padres, and before... Oh, it's about Manny Machado. No, no. This is about somebody that deserves a raise. Somebody for the Padres who runs the board or runs stadium events, I don't know who this is. This person needs a raise. Um, So it's the the Padres and the Red Sox are playing, mm -hmm. um, and uh, the Padres do a karaoke. Yes. um, And uh, they decide to, well, let's just let the audio take care of it. Red Sox fans must have felt so at home. They normally do in visiting stadiums. Oh, that was just here.
If you can't quite make that out on the audio, the entire stadium was just rickrolled, and that is amazing. What I really like is for going right into the chorus, you can hear the Boston fans start to sing the chorus and then go, oh, it's one of the best Rick Rolls of all time. Somebody in the Padres organization deserves a raise. Uh, Scotty, I mentioned that I was gone this past week. Yeah. Um, And so I'd like to cover a bit of older news. Okay. Let's call this last week on the Twitters. Okay. This first one is... Hasn't it always been last week on the Twitters? Okay, but this is laster week on the Twitters. I mean, think about it. The the first tweet was from today, so it's this week. Yeah. Don't make me think. That's not what this show is about. This tweet comes to us from Luke Seiler, who tweets at the underscore Luke underscore Seiler. It is a, a tweet quoting the Baltimore Orioles talking about Hunter Harvey. He said, the command and consistency isn't all the way back, but it's no doubt Major League stuff. Uh, throwing 100 with the fastball and a curveball plus a splitter that'll show plus at times. So I ask you, Scotty, was Hunter Harvey everything that we were hoping for and more? What do you think? I still come to the point that when we drafted Hunter Harvey, we expected him to be potentially a starting pitcher. And now he's a closer. That doesn't mean that he can't come back and be a starting pitcher. But I feel like this is the floor as opposed to uh, a very high ceiling. Okay. I he- I, I feel you. I hear you. Let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. What happened with Hunter Harvey happened. Mm-hmm. And from here, we can, we're, we're going to get a reliever. Mm-hmm. Right? Hunter Harvey is a reliever from here on out. Is this as best as we can hope from the new incarnation of Hunter Harvey? Yes, the new Zach Britton um, looks very, very impressive. And and hey, those players have value. Yes. Right? Um, I'm not sure that I'm ready to say, okay, he's the next closer. He's going to be dominant forever. But, you know, I like what I see. Like you said, though, a little disappointing that it wasn't the uh, the story we were sold from the beginning. But he is going to be dominant forever. From your lips to God's ears. Or at least until he changes his name. All right. So, uh, Jake, I have a confession to make. All right. I'm listening. Uh, I'm really starting to like Kevin Brown. And like a, a lot, a lot. Uh, and second, um, you were talking about baseball and emotion. And I'm not sure if the Orioles are going for like the Emmys right now or what's going on here. But like the Orioles came out with a really great piece on Masson um, going through and talking to a Red Sox fan, fan named Henry Frasca. Um, who wrote a heartwarming letter to Chris Davis, one that he'll never forget. Um, and it basically says, hey, don't give up. Everyone has bad days, but you're a Major League Baseball player, allegedly. And uh, you're one of the best players out there in the entire world, allegedly. Um, but, you know, he got a chance to go out there, have a day with Chris Davis, spend some time with him. And uh, Kevin Brown tweeted, I'm not crying. You're crying. Dot, dot, dot. No, I'm crying. Here's the thing. I think it was two weeks ago when I would, I don't know, it was somewhat recently when I was saying that all we want to do is love Chris Davis. Like, clearly. You've been saying that for like the last five years. It's true. And it's it's still true. The The fact that we are so angry with what has gone on with him 
really is that deep down, we all just want to love Chris Davis. And this is one of those moments where that was possible. So, you know, again, this is also the kind of content I'm here for. And, and you say, oh, you know, why are the Orioles keep, you know, keep doing this? Why are they producing this? It's because they don't want to talk about what's on the field, what's going on, which is fine. You know, they're going to be terrible regardless. So you might as well get these kind of feels out of the way. Get it out of the way. Yeah. Uh, next tweet comes to us from uh, Eric Ardidi. Let's say uh, E. Diddy, 22. Um, the Orioles, this is in all caps, but I, I just don't have the energy to shout it. The Orioles have tied the Major League record for most home runs giving up in a season, and there are six weeks left. This was a tweet that came out on the 21st really the best of you could August. Do? I, can, I can take care of this. The Orioles have tied the MLB record for most home runs given up in a season. There is six weeks left. It's almost as if you're announcing the Kingdom of the Netherlands over there. Um, Yeah, that's pretty crazy. But you know what? The thing is, is that something magic happens every Every time time you you go. go. Yeah. You'll catch a fly ball in left field. (laughs) And then another one on Utah Street when you're walking out. You know, there we have the opportunity to see history in the making with this club every time uh, every time we watch them play. But the record's been smashed. The Orioles now hold it, so we no longer have to talk about the home run record. It's mm-hmm. it's a thing of August, as it were. Um, so no longer do we have to have the chase. Now it's just a let's see how high the number gets, and we'll go from there. So Jake, you said uh, you were in Michigan. I was. Um, I wasn't. You obviously probably caught a ton of mass and coverage. Oh, yeah. It, it was all over the bars and restaurants so, of Chicago. So let's okay. do this. Let's go around the bases and kind of get you caught about up about what actually happened this past week in Birdland. Right, so we'll start going around the bases. Jake, uh, I'll lay down a bunt to the third base side because we're being shifted against. And uh, let's start off with Players Weekend. Um, you obviously were able to come back, watch a little bit of the coverage for the Orioles this past weekend. What did you think about the uniforms? I know you're a, a fashion uh, aficionado. I'm big into sports aesthetics. So talk to me about these sports aesthetics and what they did for you. They didn't do a lot. Okay. From what I saw, this was basically... In every game, there was a black team and a white team, mm-hmm. right? Dressed all in black, dressed all in white. It kind of reminded me of those turn-ahead-the-clock uniforms back from 1999. Sure. Do you remember these? Uh, I'm not digging it. The The previous year's uh, Players Weekend was bright and garish and kind of obnoxious. And teams like the Orioles and the Athletics and some others that have, like, you know, a, a a bright, loud color scheme really had a lot to go for. This was more like understated and, and muted. Eh, I didn't like that as much. All right. I I hear what you're saying. Um, it was certainly minimalistic, um, in, in its design. Um, but I certainly think it's better than some of the uniforms that we've seen on holidays, such as like mother's day and father's day and everything like that. Sure. As much as we want to give it, you know, of, oh, well, it's not really my style. Um, you know, I, I don't claim to be a uh, hip. I don't claim to be woke or I don't claim to be cool. 
But I would also come back and say that if we're looking to engage with a younger generation and also an urban demographic, uh, I would certainly think that those uniforms would actually play heavier. If we take a look at some of the uniforms that have been done pretty much before, like at the NBA All-Star Game and stuff like that, I think you see a similar resonance, as it were, in terms of uh, some of the uniform choices. Okay. First, you're right. I may be too white and suburban to really have appreciated However, yeah. I will say that the NFL does the color rush yes. where it's like obnoxiously red versus obnoxiously blue. So that's what I'm there for. And this comes back to what was the major issue with color rush? You know, when certain teams got out there, uh, individuals basically said, hey, I have a hard time distinguishing between this because the, the colors are so vibrant and like this. This is perfect for the individuals that are colorblind <laughs> or have black and white televisions. So again, it's supporting both, you know, the youth, uh, the urban demographic, and also the individuals that are 90 years old with black and white television still. All right. All right. You won me over. It was a long walk, but you got me. Uh, I also like the fact that, uh, you know, it wasn't just the players that got into the action, you know, with the nicknames. Um, I, You know, I saw some others get uh, Players Weekend jerseys. Cal Ripken got one that said Iron Man. You know, obviously, uh, Jim Palmer had one that said Cakes. Even Ben McDonald had a Big Ben. Big Ben. But that was not the coup de gras. The Orioles leaned deep into Players Weekend and issued what I think may be the best uniform ever. Yeah, so the Orioles tweeted uh, from the Oriole Bird, at Oriole Bird, uh, I just like the duck. I think it's cool. Hashtag Players Weekend. And it is the Oriole Bird holding up the duck jersey. Number one, the duck. All right, so listen to me. You can't tell me that you don't look at that jersey and say, I would buy that jersey in a heartbeat if I saw it in the store. Instantly. <laughs> Instantly, exactly. Instantly. So for as much as you want to critique and criticize, if you were to see that in the store, you would be like, done. Here's my money. Please take it. Here's this, though. Yes. I wonder if that's one of those things that you can get from the uh, the customized jerseys. Of course. Or if they won't allow it. You know, like they don't allow the players' names. Right. For the customization, will they allow the uh, the players' weekend nicknames, including the duck? Do they like money? <laughs> they do like I money. guarantee you that uh, the duck will not be banned on MLB.com or MLB Shop, and you could easily go get a orange jersey with black lettering that says the duck on the back. All right. L- let me talk a little bit about the actual games that took place. Um is it wrong that I feel bad about taking games from the Rays? No. The Rays are in the wild card hunt. If if any team is going to make it, you know, might as well be the Rays. Uh, the Red Sox six sit at what six or six and a half games back. Yeah. I need. Why Why are you worried about this? Because I would much rather the Rays be in the playoffs than the Red Sox. Yeah, but that, it's not a big deal. I mean, whoever gets there is just going to get trounced by the Astros or the Yankees, so it doesn't really matter. Which is fine, but I don't want the Red Sox. That There, there are so few things that baseball can give me this season. They can give me this. That's fair. Just maybe the Orioles will, you know, in essence, knock out the Red Sox. Mm. Maybe. It's happened before. Yeah. All right. Let's wander over to second base in a bit of toot bland. Um, let's talk about the remaining home schedule. Mm-hmm. There are exactly, from today, 13 remaining home games on the 2019 That's schedule. That's not a lot. No, it's really not. So I ask you, Scotty, mm-hmm. as a uh, as an Orioles fan, what excites you 
about the remaining games. What, as a fan, gets you out of your seat and into the park and excited to watch Orioles baseball? I don't think there's anything. What? I really don't think there's anything. That's terrible. Well, let's break this down. Okay. Um, there are a few things that we need to to look for. Okay. First of all, we are in the middle of the race of our lives. It's not a pennant race, but it is a race. Are we in a hot hair balloon? <laughs> Scotty, I ask you, um, can the Orioles wrestle away? the number one draft pick from the Detroit Tigers. They can. I think it's going to be tough. Um, it's a real disappointment to me that the Tiger series is not in Baltimore. Yeah. Because that would be a cool series to have people just pack the park, right? How awful would it be for the Orioles and the Detroit Tigers to have a late, uh, a late season series where people are just there to hope their own team loses? At, that that would just be amazing. I hear what you're saying. I, I still think if I'm looking at the schedule, I still come back to my, my last point, which was I still think the last series of the entire season with the Orioles at Fenway Park, mm. with the potential to, in essence, end the season for the Red Sox, uh, is the piece of resistance. And, and I think it's going to come into, just like we talked about, um, I think the Orioles are going to go in there and if they can win one game, they eliminate the Red Sox. And, and people will talk about that stupid game forever, yes. just like the Andino game. Yes. All right. All right. So there's that. Um, you know, in all seriousness, uh, there is nothing finer than going to Camden Yards, even when the team is crappy. And that has been the case for a while now. I generally try to go to one game late in the season just to say goodbye to the park. There is one series that is of particular interest to me, and that's the Dodgers at Orioles. Mm. I think there is a heavy possibility that someone is going to hit the warehouse in that Dodgers Orioles series. What? Because of all the lefty sluggers in the Dodgers? Bingo. Jock Peterson. Yes. Yeah. I think someone in that Dodgers lineup is going to hit the warehouse. Not with the ball they've got now, Scott. It's it's not live enough for that. Uh, like I said, I think that... Um, it, I, that's the only thing that intrigues me is going to that Dodgers series, watching their hitters come over here and just pound on the Orioles with their left-handed hitters and just make moonshots onto Utah Street. Can I go to a quick tangent? Because I want to go back to the discussion that we had about the Rays. Sure. Uh, I mentioned the wild card. They're still bothering you, aren't they? No, it's you know, it's not that. It's not the Rays. It's not the Red Sox that are bothering me. I'm actually thinking about baseball in general. Okay. Um, do you think that the wild I think my memory is that you were okay with the wild card format when it got switched to the one game plan. Oh yeah, it's fine. Okay. Do you think that there have been unintended, unintended consequences of the way that teams approach the end of the season based on that wild card format? How so? Has it impacted whether or not teams try to load up at the trade deadline? Has it impacted the fire with which teams come out at the end or do you do you feel like you know teams are calling up talent because they want to compete, or do you think they're bringing up talent you know for auditions in the in the uh, September call up for teams like the Red Sox and the Rays and the Indians and stuff like that? I think they're playing to get into a playoff spot. I think that I don't think they any. If you think about who did the Rays go trade for, who did the Indians go trade for, who did the Red Sox really go? Oh, <laughs> the the Red Sox went for Andrew Kashner. That's that's a whole other topic. Um, 
Yeah, I don't think it's going to be big moves. I think that you make big moves to specifically win World Series. Um, I don't think the secondary wild card has, in essence, shifted the dynamics of the trade market or the trade deadline significantly. Um, I am looking forward to um, getting rid of the 40-man roster in September, which is coming, I believe, next year. Yeah. Um, But ultimately, I don't think it's been that big of a deal, and I really enjoy uh, the wild card format that it is in terms of that one game series. Um, and again, it's paid, you know, positives for the Orioles and negatives for the Orioles. But um, there was a lot of memories uh, that came out of those two games um, as Orioles fans. And uh, it really helped to define uh, the Orioles during that era. Even, you know, looking at it from the outside, as we will as Orioles fans, I think that the, uh, the wild card format the way it is really does recreate that game 163 feel. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm a big fan. I was, I was just curious, you know, I've, I've read some things about, you know, particularly around the trade deadline about whether or not the wild card format was, was impacting. Okay. So, so Jake, if you were a younger man, mm-hmm. uh, you were still living in Pigtown. Sure. Uh, would you have gone and paid for the $30 all access pass? 100%. Yes, I would. They're standing room only tickets. So, you walk in, mm-hmm. and you can pick out any seat in the ballpark. Yeah. Yes. In a heartbeat? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. 30 bucks to go see, well, I don't know. 13, 13 games. 13 games? Yes. Yes. 13 games. And good for the Orioles. Yeah. Not enough people will take advantage of that. No. But that is a great promotion. Yeah, I don't think there are going to be a lot of people. I bet you they sell probably no more than 100. Yeah. That's that's it. Um, but you're absolutely right. Uh, it's a great idea to get more younger fans in their 20s into the park. All right. We haven't talked about the elephant in the room. Mm. The thing that should be drawing people to the ballpark. Yeah. is the opportunity to say goodbye. To? There are going to be a lot of Orioles on this 2019 squad that will not return for 2020. Let's look at this. Good players? Let's not oh, okay. gotcha. be choosy. There are a lot of players that are not going to be here next year. Uh, we talked about one already, and that's Mark Trumbo. Meh. Yeah, I'm not that excited about it either. Big question. Mm. Does Chris Davis play on the 2020 Baltimore Orioles? I don't think so. So, Orioles fans, you heard it here first. Scott Magnus says no. That means in Scotty's world, and he might not be wrong, 13 chances to say your goodbyes to the crusher, to the big boy, to the deputy. No? No. No. Okay. I felt a sentimental heartstring pulling on me in 2015 when he came up for his last series and basically belted home run after home run. And it was good to see him do that. And I was just like, I'm going to miss him. But no, I'm done. Oh, I do miss him. I miss old Chris Davis. I don't. I don't. I don't miss this Chris Davis. He's been dead to me for a while now. So there are no, or I mean, think about it. Uh, you know, we could we could uh, have a trade for VR. We could have a trade for Hanser Alberto. They could trade Trey Mancini in the offseason. They could trade. Crap, that might be it. Um, there is nobody on this team that I have an emotional connection to whatsoever. You just like the duck. 
I just, well, if the Orioles were to trade away the Oriole bird, I may be a little upset. Just a little upset. But if they replaced him with a duck, honestly, I'd be pretty stoked. All right. Sorry. Uh, squirrel. Just just had a just had a, a brilliant idea. Absolutely. And I'm going to contact the Orioles about this tomorrow. I swear. They absolutely need to make Orioles rubber ducks. And give it as a promotion. Yes. There needs to be Oriole rubber duck night. That that needs to happen next season early. If only my daughter wasn't allergic to rubber ducks. <sighs> darn. Darn latex. All righty. Um, well, let's go to home plate. Uh, no, we're at oh, third, wait, third base. base. Sorry. Got carried away. Third base. Uh, Jake, uh, John Means has had a pretty terrible second half of the season. Really? But I had not known. Oh, yeah. Pitched pretty decent this weekend against the Rays. Um, you know, I guess the question is, what has changed in the second half of the season? And what has he done differently as of recently to improve on his uh, absolutely terrible second half? Well, I mean, I think you have to look at the second half and say, what in the heck is going on here? I think he went to the All-Star game. <laughs> Clearly. Did he break a mirror while he was there? Did he break a mirror under a ladder with a black cat? Is that what happened? Um, I, I, you know, two things that I think could be at, at work here. One is workload, mm -hmm. right? As a first-time major leaguer, um, you know, fresh up from the minors, he may be throwing harder, more frequently, deeper into the season than ever before. Okay. I, I don't know that that's necessarily the case. The other thing might be that the book cut might be out on John Means. There might be enough video out there. There might be enough experience out there that teams are starting to say, oh, I know this guy. I know how to beat this guy. Those are, I, I think, are the best, you know, explanations for a second half decline. And if that's the case, and I'm no expert, but if that's the case, my question then is, does he have the kind of run in him like we saw in the first half again? Does he have the ability to adjust to the adjustment? Or have we just enjoyed a, a nice flash in the pan? I think we've enjoyed, uh, in essence, a nice flash in the pan. Um, and it was nice to see. But again, it comes back down to ever since, we'll call it May to June, you know, John Means XFIP has been hovering around five. Recently, it's been above, you know, 5.5. I think it is what it is. I think his ERA is, you know, low but i don't think it's really accurate to what it is so i've said it before and i'll say it again john means does not strike me as a starting pitcher at the top of the rotation could it be a fourth or fifth absolutely but uh he is not a uh number one or number two yeah do you think that, i mean i assume what you're saying there is basically there's a happy medium between what he was and what he is now of course okay and i do agree with you too that you know you look at the innings that he's pitched and this is the most that he's had pretty much in his entire career I do think that there's been a little wear and tear, um, as it were. Um, but certainly, I, th I think that he's much more of a pitcher that is going to be at, you know, 4.5 to 4.8 xFIP um, with an ERA at, you know, 4.2 to 4.5, which is perfectly acceptable. Yeah. Um, and I'll take it. But he's certainly not a number one or number two starter. All right. Let me ask this and call me out if it's an unfair question. But he is what he is, right? And, he, and he's having this, this, uh, you know, run. Is there anything that this particular regime, the the Elias Sigmidel uh, administration, if you will, is there anything that they can do for him 
uh, in comparison to where other regimes may have failed him. Yeah, and I think there's a few things that you mentioned. Oh, if the book is out on him, then he's done. But in reality, the book is out on all great pitchers. So you've got to be able to sequence differently, and you've got to be able to hit your spots. Um, if you can hit your spots and sequence accordingly, you can still be an effective pitcher. So I feel like John Means still has that command. Um, and I still feel like he has decent enough stuff that um, with a you know proper selection and a proper, proper data analytics standpoint, he could still be of value. I just don't think he was as valuable as you know he was claimed to be when he was an all-star. Fair enough. Okay. Take us into home plate. All right. Let's go to home plate. Uh, so two big things I think are stories that are kind of underlying. One is, of course, Hunter Harvey hitting 99 miles per hour and everyone kind of going crazy. But outside just the speed, one thing that I've been interested in and that has not been covered at all is Jonathan Villar absolutely, you know, raking as of late and entering into the 2020 club. Big Barbara Walters fan. Is that what you're telling big, me? Big, big Bar- Barbara Walters fan. But, you know, Jonathan Yar is going to have a 3.2 F war at this moment. He's got a 347 on base percentage equal to Trey Mancini. He's got 20 home runs to 29 home runs for um, Trey Mancini. And he's got a 114 weighted runs created plus compared to Trey's 124. Jake, if you had to pick one player to take with you into 2020 for the Baltimore Orioles, would it be Trey Mancini or would it be Jonathan Villar? Man, that's a really good question. Uh, Jonathan Villar plays a number of positions. Uh-huh. Uh, Jonathan Villar has speed. He has 28 stolen bases. Yep. He has power. Um, My heart says Trey. I, I'm reviewing now if my head says VR. It's a tough question. Um, yeah, I, I think that that might be the right baseball move. Uh, I think he's older than, he than Mancini, but if you're just talking about 2020, yeah, maybe uh, maybe you try to trade your, your uh, all-star snub in Trey Mancini and keep VR because he's got uh, he can do more for you right now. I hear what you're saying. Um, here's what bothers me about John Fiar absolutely having a killer year, um, doing great with you know stolen bases and everything like that. But I look at his 346 BABIP and I'm like, mm, when he goes cold, it's going to be bad. And the one thing that we've talked about on this show is, besides last year when Trey Mancini, I think, was playing through an injury, Trey Mancini is so consistent at the plate and has such good plate discipline. Would I characterize it as the same as Nick Marcakis? No. But would I say Trey Mancini does a decent enough job at the plate where he can be serviceable from a plate discipline standpoint? Yes. I think that Trey Mancini could easily be um, a number two hitter or a number one hitter on a team as he progresses along in his career and not just a number three or number four hitter. I hear you. And, and you're not wrong. But let me say this. Mm-hmm. The baseballs are still going to be juiced in 2020. We don't know that. I'm pretty confident okay. the baseballs are still going to be juiced in 2020. And I think that that helps a player like VR more than it helps Mancini. Mancini's got pop regardless. Mm-hmm. The ball is going to go out regardless. With VR, the doubles and the homers go up, which adds to the rest of his game, which is already there. Mm-hmm. You asked the short-term question, 2020, I go with VR. Okay. Again, with my head, my heart is all about Trey. 
And if I'm going to the point of Chris Davis is no longer in 2020 mm-hmm. and I'm going to need a first baseman, mm-hmm. I'm putting Mancini at first base and then figuring out who's going to play shortstop and second base and third base for me. It's going to be the committee. It, it could really be the committee, which <laughs> is really scary. Um, but yeah, um, I think Jonathan's traded this season, off season. You know, he's putting up a lot of good numbers and we talked about you know, Mark Trumbo coming into this season and establishing trade value to have him be traded. I think Jonathan is establishing that trade value where someone is going to want to pull the trigger and pick him up this offseason. You were telling me that Jonathan trade value VR is a trade candidate? Uh, he finally is. <laughs> finally is. All right. So we've made our way around the bases. Here's a question. One more about Jonathan, though. So he's arbitration eligible. Last year of arbitration. So he's got one year of service before he goes to free agency. Okay. He's currently making $4.8 million, and he's going into his last year arbitration. So he's probably going to be making somewhere in the ballpark of 8 to $10 million. You think that high? I do think that high in his last year. Yeah, he got to go. So the Orioles have to make a decision whether or not they're going to tender him. I believe it's at the end of November or the first week of December. How quickly do you think the Orioles can make a trade? Well, what do you think they can get back up against that kind of clock when the other clubs know it? What do you think they can get back? Maybe some international draft picks. (laughs) (laughs) It's an interesting predicament, though. It's like he should be trade value, but are the Orioles really going to pony up $8 million for him? I hope not. Yikes. Yikes. All right. Well, I'll, I'll chew on that. We've gone around the bases. Uh, there was so much this week that I missed, so much out of the metro area. Uh, but one thing happened this week, and there is no way that we can fail to talk about it. Play the music. We'll come right back. Scotty, what happened while I was gone? Um, it got colder. Well, it did. It it actually was cold while it was there, and I brought it back with. Me. That's good. You're welcome. Yeah, I left the door open. Thanks. Got uh, my fall beer out of it. So, Mike Elias uh, took out his red pen, mm-hmm. and he just tore into the organization while I was gone. Yeah. While I was gone, we had a fully stocked scouting department, uh-huh. and now we don't. Uh, Michael Elias made some changes to the organization. Uh, some folks were let go, and before we go any further, I'm certainly not making light of people losing their jobs. That is awful. Um, but the organization is vastly different than it was uh, before. And uh, some interesting some interesting changes have have clearly been made. For, first of all, um, there there were eleven members of the team's scouting uh, and front office departments that were altered. Um, big names, including you know Trip Norton, uh, who's one that we should all know, uh, as well as uh, Nate Showalter, whose name certainly uh, rings a bell, um, as well as others. And so, let me ask you this, Scotty. 
Um, do you think that this represents a reduction in the scouting department? Or do you think that this is simply a matter of some folks had to go so that fresh blood could come in? I'm going to go with both. Um, I think this is a reduction in terms of the scouting department. And I think it is a, uh, a matter of some people needed to go. Um, I think you've got a lot of people here that were of the previous regime and or previous regime regimes even before the Duquette era. And I think the Orioles looked at it and said, if we're going to craft the vision that we are looking for, um, we need to go out and get people that are going to understand the tools that we are putting out there. Um, and what we are trying to achieve in, in this world. Um, so I'm not surprised. Um, you know, even you've talked to, you know, Mike Alias and Sigma Dell, they indicated that they got into the process a little too late uh, when they were hired um, and they couldn't make some of these moves. So I'm sure all these folks knew that, um, you know, the writing was on the wall, as it were. Uh, you're not getting called into certain meetings. You're not getting asked for certain inputs. Um, I'm not surprised. Um, and you know, like you said, it, it's a shame that it happens, but ultimately um, any good company uh, has to know, hey, it's time to move on and it's time to shift directions if you're not getting the product that you're looking for um, at the given time. I, I don't think this is, you know, heartless, oh, we simply need to focus on the numbers thing. I mean, you know, Michael Elias was a scout. Um, and, you know, again, having read Astroball, that organization really valued scouts and their inputs in addition to data. Um, as a piece of data uh, to include in, in decision making, so you know I don't think this is a war on the scout uh, scouting department, but you know clearly what was here before wasn't working. Um, so you know I'm not surprised to see wholesale changes. It was interesting. Um, you know I think. Uh, Ken Rosenthal tweeted out something where he said that when teams do things like this and just clean house, that it shows a great disrespect for the institutional knowledge within an organization. I'm not sure that means anything. So I think this is a, a common query because I hear this oftentimes within the business world uh, where people indicate saying, I can't believe you got rid of that person. They had been there for 20 years um, they had a lot of institutional knowledge and it says, yes, that's great. But if they're not doing anything productive with that institutional knowledge, then it doesn't really benefit us to have this person in essence. Um, you know, the stapler that we have at this person's desk has the same amount of institutional knowledge and impact on the company if they're not going to apply it. Are we talking red swing line here? Uh, we, of course we're talking red swing line. Um, so, you know, I look at folks that are in that list, and uh, they certainly have been uh, dynamic in terms of um, making changes and putting out certain players onto the organization. But again, it, it comes back to the question of, does it align with what Elias and Medell want to do with the analytics department that they're putting together, and in addition, um, with the international prospecting that they're looking to do and put additional resources into it as well? And I look at those names, and I'm thinking... Well, that was one era, and this is the new era. It's it's time to move on and, and try to do new things. So yeah, and and any organization in any industry, when management changes, sometimes they bring in their own people, right? Or they bring in people that better reflect their worldview or their business approach, whatever that business might be. Yeah, I, I come back to the point that you know Rosenthal made too in his article, um, and it was this conversation specifically about 
how other teams like the Brewers were doing this and how, you know, folks were now, you know, focused more on the aspect of uh, looking at scouting through video and through data as opposed to actually being there. And, you know, we talked about this from Bird's Eye View from a 2012 onwards aspect of there's got to be a marriage, as it were, in terms of, you know, the hands-on experience, but also the data analytics. And ultimately, what I think the Orioles are going to be trying to do in the future is saying, we want to pull those people in, but instead of having, you know, eight to 12 people out in the field doing this, instead, we may pull in four to six and minimize the amount of travel that they have to go out and do, and instead utilize more, you know, common techniques such as video scouting um, and, and, and take a look at it that way instead. And I think that makes a lot more sense, uh, specifically in this world that we're, we're living in where, again, uh, if you're making a sales call, as it were, it's not necessarily necessary for you to basically stop in with your customer every month now and be like, Hey, how's it going? No, now it's just more appropriate to be, okay, I'm going to set up a Skype meeting. We can have a conference call if necessary, or, you know, you can instantly see from an invoicing standpoint where you stand, you can see your stock all ready to go. Again, the old school methods of writing stuff down in carbon paper and having to transfer it over onto dot matrix printers. Um, it, it was it's certainly a way that you can continue to do business. But in reality, there are better ways to go about it in the 21st century. Yeah, I, I think the the biggest um or the most compelling thing that you said early on was that, you know, they came in late and so they couldn't make these wholesale changes from the beginning. All right. So maybe this is only jarring because it's separated from the original change, you know, regime change. And this is the, the echo boom, so mm-hmm. to speak. Right. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what's next from here. I also think it's a good time for them to do it. I mean, they waited until after the draft, um, the season in essence for minor league baseball is coming to a close. Um, the scouts and their relationship with the players is now starting to come to a close from, for the season. Um, and in, in essence, it gives these folks, you know, three to four months before the winter meetings to basically go and have conversations with it. So it's more of a, Hey, we're giving you that opportunity to get out there and be ready to go as opposed to waiting too long in the process and you not having a chance to do it. So I think it makes total sense. And I mean, the other question is whether or not they're going to fill the ranks back up with other scouts. And I, I'd say no. I mean, I look at the baseball analytics team that Mandel is putting together, and he's got, you know, just within the front office listing on Baltimore Orioles, um, five folks listed out. But, you know, Rockabaco has mentioned that there's upwards of a dozen people currently in the analytics department. There was nowhere even close to a dozen people in the analytics department. So I, I do think that uh, the Orioles are moving away from this traditional mindset of saying we have to have um, butts in the seat to watch high school games and college games and instead are saying um, we can do that when necessary and even the folks like Sigma Dell and Michael Ice can go out to those games and look at it with a scout but it's going to pay us a lot more dividends to uh, take a look at the data analytics and the video that surrounds it as well yeah uh, I'll, I'll be interested I, I I agree it's probably a reduction in staff but you know of those 11 vacancies, some of them will be refilled. Um, and they'll be refilled with uh, scouts that fit the mold that Elias is looking for. Yeah. Right. Um, not to say that, you know, any of those guys couldn't hack it with the you know, 21st century uh, baseball approach. But, um, you know, in any industry, again, you want your people that are going to do things your way that you're comfortable with. I guarantee with. you at least, you know, 
five or six of those 11 members are going to get hired uh, by some other organization, um, maybe not in the region that they were in, um, but they're going to get hired by somebody, you know, just even if it's a part-time on an associate basis. So um, it's a very niche network, as it were, in terms of baseball. So I certainly don't think any of those folks have anything to be concerned about of getting back into the game at some point. All right. So if not, there's the, it was the Jewish baseball camp that Dan Duquette runs. <laughs> Absolutely. I leave for a little while and Michael Elias reshapes the face of the organization. Thanks a lot. Um, but Hey, I think the real question, Scotty is what the heck happened with fantasy boss? So, Jake, the category that we picked uh, was on base percentage. You picked the committee, Hanser Roberto, uh, who had a 333 on base percentage. I picked Boom Boom Trey Mancini, who had a 356 on base percentage. Leading the Orioles was Jonathan Villar with a 443 on base percentage during this time period. So, Jake, that takes the category to 8 to 6. To one, Ooh, things are tightening up. Tightening here. up just just a smidge. So, Jake, you can go ahead and uh, pick the category for this week for fantasy boss. Pick the can the fantasy boss category. I don't know. I mean, Scotty, I I feel like I feel like there's a lot of pressure here as things tighten up, and uh, as things with our score become more intimate. Yes, closer. Are we talking about several strains again? It's time for dogs. Dongs, dongs, dongs. We're going to dong it up. All right. Uh, if I have to go with dongs, I'm going to have to go chalk. I'm going boom, boom, Trey Mancini. I'm so glad you said that because I am going to join the fan club. I'm going to go back to the United Kingdom. Ooh, the United Kingdom. And I'm taking Tony. Anthony San Tandare. All right, so we'll see who owns it this week in Fantasy Boss with Anthony Santander versus Boom Boom Trey Mancini. It's a dong fest, my it friend. It is a dong fest. And with that, let's find out who is good, who is bad, and who is ugly. That's right. It's time again for the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm going to go ahead and get started this week. And my good is going to go to Dylan Bundy. Uh, sure. Maybe the last time that he went out, it was kind of meh. But the time before that was actually pretty good. And, uh, well, really, the bar is just low as far as Orioles pitchers are concerned. No, let's talk about Dylan Bundy. Yeah, he only pitched five innings with two earned runs in his last outing. But the outing before that, on August 20th, he went seven innings strong, scattering five hits, one earned run over that time. I feel like I'm uh, I, I feel like I'm Mike Bordick at this point, you know, reading the screen. Uh, but Dylan Bundy had a good week. And so for that, he's my good. All right. So 
My good is going to go to the committee, Hanser Alberto. Hanser Alberto having four home runs. Not sure how it's possible. Juice ball. But he has four home runs this, in the past two weeks. Lefties. And lefties. But I also think it's interesting that he's got a 3.7% walk rate and a 7.4% K rate. All the dude does is put stick on balls. <laughs> no? No? Is that what we're going with? Maddie can listen to this, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> All right. My bad for this week is going to go to Boom Boom. Boom Boom. Trey Mancini did not have a particularly good week. He had a 53 weighted runs created plus. I'm not sure he had a home run this week. His Wobo was at 254. But here's the thing, Scotty. All of that says that he had a ridiculously bad week and that everything went wrong for him. But his Woba or his uh, Babip was only 250. Oof. Think about it. A, a, a league average Babip is what, 290? Uh, like 300, I think it is. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So his Babip was not that far off for all of those other things to be terrible. Boom Boom had a bad week and he is, uh, he's my bad. I'm glad that you brought this up because I was actually looking at somebody else that had a pretty horrific Babip for the past two weeks. Uh, and that is your selection also for Fantasy Boss in Anthony Santander, who had four home runs, just like Hanser Alberto, but still managed to only have a 77 weighted runs created plus in his time. So all the dude did was either hit a home run or he got an out. He didn't even have that many walks. 1.7% walk rate. Anthony Santander, he put the stick on the ball, but either it went for a dong or it went for an out. All or nothing. All or nothing. Uh, That's what the UK scouts say, too. <laughs> my ugly for this week is going to go to the thud. The season is coming to an end with a thud. I hate this part of the schedule during the Dark Ages where part of you is just hoping for the sweet release of death of the season and part of you wants to hold on to as much baseball as possible, where you remind yourself that even awful baseball beats out a day when there is none. The season is coming to a close, and I can, I can feel it. It's, it's starting to weigh on me that I'm going to miss even this ridiculously awful season soon. It's like, um, you know the Sunday dreads when you know you have to go to work the next day? Yeah. I feel like that. Do you still feel that way? With the end of the season. I do not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I feel this way with the end of the season. And, uh, you know, I've got the end of season dreads. And it makes it difficult in in some ways to enjoy the end of the season. So my my ugly for this week is, I guess, the baseball equivalent of the Sunday dreads. So, Jake, I'm going to break a rule. What? Because I'm allowed to do so. Jake, for what I believe may be the last time that I can say this. Chris Davis is my ugly for the week. Chris Davis in only 18 plate appearances over the past two weeks had a negative eight waiter runs created plus. And there's an indication being made by Brandon Hyde that Chris Davis's plate appearances will continue to wane as we go throughout the season and going into September. It certainly seems like the Chris Davis era is coming to an end and the question is, have we seen the last of our hero? Yeah, maybe he'll get in an occasional pinch-hitting appearance. But 
don't think he's going to necessarily get enough plate appearances to meet the qualifying criteria that is necessary for the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yikes. Okay, first of all, just from a procedural standpoint, Scotty, you're not supposed to do this. I'm aware. You just want to give it to Ubaldo Jimenez while you're at it as well? I, I'm, I'm okay with that, but he hasn't done anything wrong to me this week, so I'm okay with that. And, and Chris Davis has wronged you. Chris Davis has wronged so me. Many ways. So many ways, yes. Including uh, making Kevin Brown cry. Including <laughs> including that. All right. You know what? It's it's uh, it's a little out there, but I will allow it. All right. Uh, shall we go ahead and uh, blow the save? Sure. All right. Let's go ahead and do it. All right. So, Jake, I've got a surprise for you. This is almost always terrifying. So uh, the Orioles reached out to season ticket holders. And uh, they were just like, hey, we know it's been a really bad season. So what we're going to do is we're going to give you a promotion just for season ticket holders. You just need to come down to the ballpark sometime in August. And if not, come down to the box office sometime in September and pick it up. But they are giving out a Oreo bird bobblehead that is a country boy bobblehead. Jake, thoughts on a country boy bobblehead? Now, this is a country boy bird, Oreo bird bobblehead. Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to hate fun. Yes, uh, but I'm not a big bobblehead guy. Yeah, uh, but I'm, I'm fine with this. I'm fine. That, that you know, that's. Okay. So well. I, I agree with you. I am not a big bobblehead guy. Uh, the gnomes do something for me. I don't they, know what, what it is, but it, they, when I see them, I, I'm entertained. I, I I like that, though. I like the garden gnome. I thought the, the hula bird yeah. for the dashboard was a great thing. Great thing. I like stuff. I like tchotchkes, but the bobblehead doesn't do it for me. I'm in full agreement on that. So... What do you think about giving away the country boy bobblehead to a loyal listener? I like this idea. All right. So uh, let's think about this and say, what can we ask our loyal listeners to do in order to basically uh, woo our hearts, as it were, uh, to uh, potentially allow us to do this? Mm, this is a good question. We will have to find some way for them to prove not only their dire love of Orioles baseball, not only their their the lengths to which they would go to uh to uh you know participate in the show but it's also got to be i think a little ridiculous all right so i've got an idea um you i do uh september 28th uh there is going to be an end of the season uh party at jimmy's famous seafood um and there'll be you know you know cheap beer half priced appetizers you know, cheap tacos. Here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, um, come on out to Jimmy's, watch the game with us. Uh, we may even do a live show. And uh, I tell you what, we're going to make you, in essence, sing for your meal. So if you can sing uh, your own original Orioles parody, similar to what me and Jake do, and or uh, singing cover of an Orioles parody that me and Jake have sung, uh, you will be in the running. No one's going to get this bird. <laughs> for this Orioles bird. Otherwise, uh, I'm going to put it on my mantle uh, as proof that nobody really cares about this podcast. <laughs> you had me right up until the end. 
And frankly, if I'm trying to watch a baseball game and somebody shouts self-written lyrics about the Orioles, I don't know. I really hope this one comes up and sings oblique. (laughs) Really do. Okay. You know what? Uh, Sure. Let's let's see what happens on the 28th. It sounds sounds like a plan, Scotty. Uh, Well thought out, well planned, and well executed, as always. And that... That is our show. Remember that you can find this and our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Bird's Eye View is available for download wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Spotify, and many others. And please remember to rate and review the show. We appreciate the feedback. It encourages other people to listen for the first time. Come get social with us. You can email us at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can find us on social media. Uh, we're on Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat. But the best way to get a hold of us is on Twitter, where we tweet at BirdseyeViewBAL. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, I'll bid you all a fond adieu adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there. And let's go O's. If you had to pick another song to cover again... Yeah. Which one would you say, I really wish I could do a do-over on that? Which one would I do over? Yeah. Hmm. Or are they all perfection? Uh, it might be Oblique. Oblique. Oblique was on the early side. Either that or the Gilbert and Sullivan thing from mm. the first Bevy. That was good. Yeah. Great. Now I'm going to be thinking about that all night. Thanks no a lot, jerk. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.